Welcome to the Table for One podcast, a podcast for those of you who are cooking for one. You'll find interviews with people who are cooking for one, nutrition tips, cooking tricks, and other practical topics for all my single listeners, and all without the mention of dieting or restriction because, well, dieting just kind of sucks. So join me as I explore the realities, the challenges, and highlight the joys of cooking for one in this busy world. I am so excited to share today's episode, but before I get into it, I wanted to share a couple of reminders or requests, I guess. So it is really helpful for me and for this podcast to have lots of or more ratings and reviews. So if you are liking this podcast, you find it to be helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you if you quickly logged on to your podcast app and left a review and a rating just to show others what you think of it. And so others can look at that and see, you know, oh, this does look interesting. I'm going to listen because that's how we decide on everything. I don't know about you, but places to stay, food, places to go, all of that. It's all based off of reviews. And then the other thing I wanted to remind you about is the Table One for One Facebook group. So if you're interested in continuing the conversation or just talking about all things cooking for one or, you know, being single and <laughs> and being by yourself, then go ahead and join that group. Okay, so without further ado, I wanted to introduce our fantastic guest today. Carmen Meyer is a diet is a dietitian who lives in Nashville and she is the owner of the nutritionadventure.com, which is a, a food blog. She loves to find recipe inspiration on Pinterest and through fellow dietitian bloggers. But her favorite cookbook author is Ina Garten, which is mine as well. When she's not in the kitchen or working, she enjoys hiking, going to yoga, trying new restaurants in Nashville, or planning her next trip. A couple things that we talked about in this podcast episode were bringing in this, you know, like sleep promoting foods and, and way of eating and bringing that into intuitive eating and how that goes. We talked about the benefits of sleep and that's outside of just feeling less tired, which is enough of a benefit for me most days. And also we talked about, um, TV, TV before bed and sleep hygiene, also eating before bed and kind of busting a couple of myths out there about that. And also kind of finished off on with a reminder to be practical when making changes to sleep better. Cause there's a lot of things that you can do, but not necessarily a lot of things that you need to do or need to do right away. So let's just jump right into it. Hey Carmen, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you about sleep and food. Well, two really great things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm excited to talk to you about it since you just wrote your book. So let's just dive right in. Tell me a little bit about cooking and eating at your house um, where, as you grew up. So growing up, um, I'm really thankful that my mom cooked a dinner most nights. I mean, it may have been something really simple. And I, I think, you know, that's the way most families prefer it, something simple. Um, but it was always, you know, a protein, usually meat. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, so we always had our meat, uh, sometimes potatoes or some kind of starch. And then we usually had 
a vegetable. It may have come from a can, but, um, you know, it was still a very balanced plate. And um, I enjoyed cooking with my mom and also my grandma. And um, so I'm just really grateful that food has always been something that I've been involved with. Oh, that's so cool. I think we have similar ways of growing up where my mom always cooked too. And I, I, you know, I mean, some, some days she would do something really simple, but she, yeah, cooked pretty much all the time, but I didn't cook with her. We've had this conversation many times and I don't know (laughs) why it's not like she didn't want us in the kitchen, but neither my sister or I (laughs) really cooked with our mom growing up. It's so, I mean, cookies, she has these great cookies that she'd make, but that's kind of about it. So it's, yeah. Baking is usually, I think, a good way to get kids in the kitchen initially. You know, something sweet. Um, is That's a good start. Yeah, and it's easy to, like, measure out flour or, you know, I mean, it can be super messy, which can be a pain. But it's safe. There's no cutting or, you know, anything right. to have any problems with that. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I always like talking to people about kind of their backgrounds with food because I think it sets the stage for what we're going to talk about. And obviously we're not talking about all of your experiences. We're talking about sleep, but but still it's Mm -hmm. a fun thing to kind of get started with. So let's start. I kind of want to set the stage here with talking about sleep and food. Um, I am a proponent of intuitive eating and find it to be so helpful and one might think that, you know, following or eating specific foods or not eating specific foods surrounding bedtime or whatever throughout the day doesn't align with intuitive eating. But the thing about intuitive eating is merging your preferences as well as um, like what you've got on hand with what's going to feel good for your body. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of things, whether it's pertaining to sleep or maybe, you know, timing food with exercise, a lot of different things where certain foods are going to do better than others. And um, so I just wanted to kind of set the stage with that. We're not talking about any rules or restrictions, but some, you know, recognizing that there are some foods that might positively affect our sleep and others that might negatively affect our sleep. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to sleep well. And so this is one other way, another tool in our toolbox. So I don't know, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that? Well, yeah, to touch on that, you know, this book is certainly not a diet, you know, it's not a strict plan to follow by any means. It's more of a um, guide and just general guidelines to help you think about the foods that you consume during the day that, could potentially interfere with sleep at night and also to learn about the foods that we can include more of, which is more important to me, you know, what can we enjoy more of in our day that can provide us with the essential nutrients our body needs to sleep well at night. You kind of mentioned tools in the toolbox and that's the analogy I like to use. Um, That's, those are the great things we get from good food is, the nutrients that we can, those are our tools we put in the toolbox so our bodies can do the best job possible. I like that. I like that a lot. So all of, you know, and, and I think the, the book I'm looking at it right now, looking at, so there's a big section on different foods that promote sleep and, um, we'll get into this more, but just kind of, 
briefly, you know, each food, you talk about the sleep and health benefits, how and when to enjoy. So it kind of gives you a timeline um, throughout the day. And then the history of that food, which I always find is interesting. And then nutrition facts, just, you know, to kind of see the the breakdown of the nutrients in it. So, yeah, I think that really shows... I think you did a great job of that. <laughs> Thank you. What I'm really trying to say here is I find it interesting that there's a kind of a negative uh, way to look at sleep a lot of times. I, I, I guess not yeah. necessarily that, but it's just like, oh, you know, I only got three hours of sleep last night. And people kind of use that as a, you know, something that they're a little bit proud of and not, you know, to say that that's bad to feel that way. But, you know, I mean, it kind of it doesn't really highlight the importance of sleep. And so again, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this today because sleep is so important for more than just not feeling tired. Do you want to get into a few yeah. of the other benefits of sleep? Yeah, well, I think you make a great point with that in that, you know, we have 24 hours in a day. It's the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes People feel like the only way to get more time during the day is to then sacrifice sleep so you can get more done. And while that might work for some people that they don't have to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night to then still have energy the next day, there are still some other things that could be going on that you may not see the negative impacts from, you know, if you're not getting quality, consistent sleep from night to night. Um, you know, things like metabolic disorders such as uh, diabetes or cardiovascular disease, just an increase in cortisol levels, which is tied into stress and inflammation in the body. And there's a lot of new uh, information studies coming out and, and being done about um, the lack of sleep and how that impacts memory and down the road could potentially lead to Alzheimer's disease. You know, when we sleep, it's a very restorative process. And that's when we're, our brain is consolidating memories of things that we've seen and learned during the day. Um, When we go to sleep at night, it's kind of like condensing those memories in our brain so that we can retain them long term. So a lot more than just energy is impacted by by sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you brought those other points up because, yeah, I think a lot of times you just think like, oh, I'm tired. I should sleep more. But there's so many other <laughs> – I mean, sleep is a time that our bodies use and need to – you know, restore itself, whether it's our, our brains, but also our muscles. And, um, I think just like every system in our body needs that time to restore where the energy is going there, as opposed to us thinking or us moving all of those things. And that affects us on a global level. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That's great. So let's, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to say all creatures and living things they they sleep and so if it were an important thing for them to do you know it would have kind of trickled out over all of these years and through evolution but it stayed because it's important yeah absolutely and i think too you know with a lot of people 
in our age bracket and just, you know, everybody, well, actually everybody needs to be productive to some, you know, whether it's in their, through their occupation or, you know, getting things done around the house if they're working at home, you know, I mean, we all need to have the energy and the mental capacity to be able to do things and sleep is a way to do that. So again, there's so many levels of, of the influence that sleep has on our bodies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's kind of get into more of the practical aspects of this. Um, We kind of talked via email, but I think one thing that has been surprisingly difficult to me um, as I've like lived with different roommates and also had my own room or have lived alone at different times of my life, I've realized that the like what I do before bed is often pretty different when I don't have anybody else around than when I Mm -hmm. do. And it's, you know, not anything like to be ashamed of or things that I feel shameful for. It's just, you know, like trying to occupy your mind. And so let's talk a little bit about concerns for people who, yeah, are living alone or not sharing a room and how that might play into it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I live alone and, um, you know, I, I do have my nightly routine, which um, I try to turn off most overhead lights um, in the evening. I'm, I've never really liked bright overhead lights at nighttime, um, but I think your environment is so important Um, And if we have a lot of those overhead lights, bright lights, and that includes light from electronics and your TV computers, um, that does interfere with melatonin being released. And so that that will interfere with you feeling tired and feel like you're ready for bed. So, um, you know, if, if there's a way that you can control that and minimize that negative effect, that's really important. And I think sometimes when, um, maybe when people live alone or if you share a space even and you can't always have control of the, the TV in the living room, you might end up in bed with a laptop or iPad watching your favorite show late into the night. Um, and again, that can interfere with the melatonin production or you may doze off with that Netflix show going, but then you wake up a couple hours later because it's still loud and going on. Great relaxing bedtime routine is is important. It, our bodies like that routine and it signals to the brain that it's time to wind down for the day and prepare for sleep. Those are great points. I think, yeah, it's especially if you don't have anybody else to talk to or aren't in the habit of cracking open a book, you know, which I'm definitely not. And there are times where I think, okay, this could really help me, but I still don't. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's helpful to have that in mind where, you know, it's not helping you produce the melatonin to fall asleep. And I think too, one thing that I've realized a little bit more recently is if you are going to be somebody who's falling asleep to watching something, which I definitely do um, probably about half the time, if not a little bit more than that, um, is to be aware of what it is that you're watching. So I've noticed for myself, like if I'm watching, like I remember trying to watch um, uh, Stranger Things at night, which I love that show. It's so good, but it's so suspenseful. 
And it takes Mm -hmm. me a really, really long time to kind of like come back to normal after that. And I've recognized, at least for me, you know, like something that's suspenseful, that's something that's really funny. Um, You know, a show that really kind of is gripping or music. I think you could say the same thing. It gets you like really excited. Those are Mm -hmm. things, you know, maybe not so helpful to help you, you know, your heart rate to go down and for you to be able to feel calm and relaxed before falling asleep. It's, it's kind of hard to fall asleep when you're, if you've been watching something like that, even if you are pretty tired. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, if you do like watching shows like that in the evening, I mean, I certainly do too. That's when I get to catch up on my favorite shows Um, at night, um, you know, at least 30 minutes before trying to go to bed, you know, turn that off if you can. um, And find something that is going to help, you know, maybe bring the heart rate down, just make you feel more calm, relaxed, clear the mind, whether it's um, just some deep breathing, meditation, or as you said, getting into bed with a book. Nothing makes me fall asleep faster than trying to read in bed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I what it is. So, yeah, just reading an old-fashioned book can um, make the eyes a little tired and heavy. Um, and I talk a little bit about, like, aromatherapy in, in the book as well. Lavender oil is very calming. So um, there's several different tips and techniques you can use to just – Calm the mind and the body. Yeah, that's so good. And I guess along those lines, can you talk a little bit more about sleep hygiene and some of the things that you can do outside of what we've just talked about um, to help promote restful sleep? The most important thing really is consistency and having that routine, whatever it is for you that works best. Our body prefers to wake up at the same time in the morning and go to bed at the same time. And if we can maintain that, that's really helpful. And again, creating that routine in the evening that sends a signal to the brain that, oh, it's time to prepare for sleep. So even if you are watching your favorite show, turn down the overhead lights and maybe have one lamp on that has a nice, you know, yellow, warm glow to it. And um, that will at least help get some melatonin released. And maybe you need a bedtime snack. Sometimes I feel like I need a snack before bed. Um, That way I don't wake up hungry in the middle of the night. Um, I have a few tips for good bedtime snacks to choose something that's a balance of protein and carbohydrates uh, to help stabilize blood sugars, but again, keep you full throughout the evening. Not overstuffed, of course, but just um, you know something to have on the stomach. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's, you know, I mean, you, gosh, you hear all of these nutrition tips, right? Like, don't eat past this whatever time. Don't, you know, whatever it goes on and on. But I, I. Th- 
that cannot be super helpful. Whether you know you are working late and you don't get a chance to eat until later, or you're you find yourself to be physically hungry. I know for myself, mm-hmm. if I go a really long time before, if I eat like pretty early and then don't eat um, until the morning, I wake up feeling sick, or I'll wake up at like four or five and just feel terrible. And that's mm-hmm. not promoting help you know, nice, restful sleep that doesn't do anything to benefit me. And so, you know, recognizing that it's, it's good to eat a snack at bedtime, um, if you need it, or if you want it, that's okay too. And you've got some great tips, um, for things to have, which is awesome. Yeah. If you're, if you're feeling hungry at bedtime, it's going to be really hard to, to fall asleep and stay asleep, um, with that feeling. So it's okay to eat something light um, you know, that, that you'll enjoy. Like I said, you don't want to wake up not feeling so great in the morning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that doesn't really set you up to having a good day if you, if you <laughs> right. start out so rough. So share some of those snack ideas. Um, do you have any of those on the top of your head? Yeah. So, um, a banana with maybe a small glass of milk would be really great. So especially if you're prone to muscle spasms at night um, you're going to get some potassium from the banana which helps with that and then milk as well contains potassium magnesium calcium all of those are important for um, muscle preventing muscle cramps Um, or you could do some banana with peanut butter or almonds if you don't want the milk you can swap that out the things they have in common there is your banana is carbohydrate, um, and again, it's going to provide that potassium, but then your peanut butter is a source of protein or the almonds, and um, in the other scenario with the milk, that's also providing you with some protein and a little bit of fat. So all the key macronutrients, um, as I said, to help keep blood sugars stable, it's going to prevent any you know significant drops in blood sugar, um, and give the stomach something to, to work on without feeling really full. Like if we had a high fat meal or, um, something like that, that wouldn't sit so well on the stomach late at night. Yeah, those are great tips. Thanks so much for sharing that. And those are all like easy ingredients or foods that I think a lot of us have on hand most of the time too. So you not like you have to go to the grocery store and buy anything special could just use what you've got on hand. And um, mm-hmm. when you talked about muscle spasms, I kind of laughed because when I was living in the dorms my freshman year, um, I don't know if this, is a, this ever happens to you, but sometimes as I'm falling asleep, like my body will jolt and maybe that's mm-hmm. what that is. And I scared my roommate one time. <laughs> she, she, like, she kind of squealed a little bit and then walked over to me and she's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. It was just normal. <laughs> but I laughed kind of as you <laughs> said that. I have yeah. had that happen before. Yeah. But like it, a course, I've never had that and I don't want to have that. Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds so painful. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> Um, so you talked a little bit about big meals and I think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind. Again, you know, it's not, it's not like you should avoid them at all costs because there are sometimes, you know, social situations or whatever, where it, you know, it might be more enjoyable to have that big meal and it might affect your sleep 
and that's fine. You'll move on. It'll be okay. But there are some mm -hmm. other foods that can ne negatively impact your sleep. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, for example, coffee. Tell a little bit about mm -hmm. timing with coffee. That's helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, we can just get coffee anywhere, any time of day. And, you know, it's become so prevalent in our society. Um, it's like we just always have coffee in our hands. And, um, you know, I, I certainly enjoy my coffee in the, in the morning and sometimes into the afternoon, but I'm pretty mindful now that, um, I have to cut it off by about two o'clock because, um, it, it will interfere with my sleep. And I'm not one to drink a lot of coffee at any one time. I generally drink four to six ounces. I'm pretty caffeine sensitive. So that's something else that I've recognized in myself. And um, if I drink much more than that at one time, I get a lot of anxiety feeling. So, um, you know, that's something to just consider if you feel like your heart racing or kind of anxious. And then at nighttime, you just can't really relax the mind or fall asleep. Then taking a look at caffeine is important and not just in coffee. There is caffeine in tea. Black tea has more caffeine than green tea. Um, our soda intake, of course, energy drinks, which are pretty prevalent now, and even dark chocolate. So I think, you know, dark chocolate is something that can be a really nice, like, dessert after dinner. But if you are caffeine sensitive, you should be mindful of that um, because it, it could potentially be providing so much enough caffeine to interfere with your sleep. Yeah, I think that's really good, you know, things to keep in mind. And you provide a a sleep checklist, no, a log, excuse me, a sleep log mm -hmm. as well as food, and I think that can be a great way to keep have an idea of, you know, if there's any foods or any habits that you have that could be interfering with your sleep, if you write them down and then you look at it afterward, you know, you're like, oh, I slept really well last night. What did I do that helped with that? And what, and then on days that you might not sleep so well, like what affected that? I think that's really helpful because it is, we're all different. Like some people can drink caffeine later and others not very late. And so this is the way for you to tell, which I think is really helpful. Right. Yeah. There's not going to be one set routine or pattern that works for everyone. So it is important to uh, just bring some mindfulness to that. And um, the, the log or journaling can really help you to narrow in on what may be interfering with your sleep. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. I think it was a smart thing to add that to the book because I think that's really helpful um, for people to decide what's specific for them. And I also just wanted to, so you have a good sleep checklist. It's right after the log in the, um, in the book. And I, mm -hmm. you know, it's helpful to see, you know, you talk about eating a variety of foods, um, being active, have at least 30 minutes of activity a day, but to not do that so close to dinner, to bedtime. Um, and then staying hydrated. That was one thing that I was a little bit surprised about in, um, you know, the foods that negatively impact your sleep and how dehydration can do that. I was surprised by that. Right. Yeah. So we know during the day, 
um, some, I guess, signs, symptoms to pay attention to for dehydration and just that would be um, confusion or being irritable or um, an increased sense of hunger. We often mistake hunger for actually um, needing to hydrate with water. So um, it can also interfere with sleeping well. And especially for people who snore um, or have sleep apnea, if you're dehydrated, then that means your um, mouth and nasal passages are going to be even drier and that will make those symptoms much worse. Um, And then we talked a little bit about muscle cramping. So staying hydrated and making sure we're getting that balance of electrolytes, our potassium, magnesium, calcium um, are, are important for minimizing any kind of muscle cramping at night. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. Yeah, that's great. Well, we are about out of time. I think one thing I wanted to say before I ask if you have anything else in mind, I think it's helpful to remain like realistic or pragmatic with these tips because you could think like, okay, I need to sleep better, so I have to do all of these things. And deciding to make all a bunch of changes all at once is usually not a good idea. <laughs> even, you know, like even if you're super gung-ho and are so excited to do it, just do one thing at a time and figure out what is really important for you. Um, you know, and at least for me, I've realized things that we haven't talked about are temperature. I'm not going to get into it because I could talk about it for hours, but temperature in my current apartment is just a nightmare and that is the biggest thing that affects my sleep I didn't sleep at all last night because it was 76 degrees in my apartment um and you know it's I was so anxious about that and just you know I mean that just affects so many different things so I think recognizing other aspects and then just being realistic and like one thing at a time figure out what works and then add things to your to your list as you start to make them habits so I think that's that's a helpful way to look at it. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't talk about? Um, well, just some real quick nutrients to look at. Magnesium would be an important one, and that's something that you'll see throughout the, the list of 50 foods to, to include more of. Um, magnesium is one of those key nutrients, and um, it's estimated that nearly 70% of Americans aren't getting enough magnesium on a daily basis. So um, that's a a nutrient that I think is coming into the limelight for um, how important it is, not just for sleep, but also decreasing uh, stress and inflammation in the body. So I would just, I guess, recommend if sleep is an issue and um, you've worked on some other things in your environment, Maybe magnesium is something you want to consider and pumpkin seeds, avocado, your dark leafy green vegetables. Those are all great sources of magnesium. That's great. And I'm guessing those, you know, having adequate amounts of magnesium in your body is great. So no matter what time it is that you're eating them, as long as you're having those at some point. Yeah, exactly. Any time of day. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. Well, it was so good to talk to you. I think, again, I think sleep is so important and these are just some simple ways that you can um, set the stage to have good sleep and then also some food tips to have in the back pocket to help promote sleep. So thanks so much for talking today.
Thanks so much for listening to the Table for One podcast with Rebecca. If you're cooking for one or know somebody who is, make sure to subscribe to the Table for One podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you can stay up to date on new episodes that will help you make cooking for one easier and more enjoyable. Feel free to continue the conversation over at in the Table for One Facebook group. You can also find recipes or work with Rebecca over at nourishnutritionblog.com. Or honestly, the easiest way is to follow me on Instagram. My handle is nourishnutrico, and you can click on the link of my profile to get more great resources for cooking for one. Talk to you next week.